Hey everyone, it's great to be with you today, uh, all you beautiful people in um, Proximity Church. Um, it's uh, a shame that I can't be with you in person, I wish I could be, but um, hopefully in the not too distant future we can get back to doing things like that. But in the meantime, I hope this talk is helpful for you and being with you in this kind of virtual way is a privilege and um, we honour and love and respect and are inspired by so much that you guys do and have done so faithfully over many years and uh, delighted that you're a part of the family of 24-7 prayer and the communities of 24-7 prayer and we hope that um, we can continue to grow in friendship uh, in the days ahead and in partnership and all that God has for us. Um, so yeah, let me, um, before I talk to you about the theme of justice in your uh, overarching theme over this last year, let me just uh, pray, can I do that? And um, welcome the Holy Spirit that even in this way he would be present in what's said. Holy Spirit, we we welcome you into these moments. Uh, just wherever, um, uh, Lord, my friends are at this moment as they watch this, I pray that you would just come close to them and near to them. I pray that they would know your presence. Uh, you make our hearts soft to how you want to speak to us. And that, Lord, we would just be led into truth and into life today. I pray that you bless these words that I say. Use them, God, for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I should have said, I hope you can understand me. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to speak clearly and slowly. Um, but today we're going to be looking at the biblical theme of justice. Um, concerned with uh, today how this word is being co-opted, if you like, in the public square in different ways with different agendas, both on the left and the right politically. And I think as the body of Christ, therefore, we need to get back to a, a Bible way of understanding this word, which we're having to do with lots of words at the moment, by the way, because in a post-Christian world in which we live, where these words have been part of what has shaped our civilization and um, have been used, sometimes there's an over-familiarity with these words or a different type of agenda being used with these words. And it's important, I think, that as the body of Christ, we learn an uh, accurate way to use them and uh, uh, bring a corrective for ourselves, first and foremost, where, where we need to. <clears throat> justice is more than just a theoretical topic as well, I want to say. It's uh, embodied in real lives and in real communities and our actions. And so it's important that justice doesn't simply become like an academic, theoretical, highbrow conversation, but where we recognize it in, in the way that it's supposed to be incarnated in our lives. And so it, with that being said, I want, I want to start uh, with uh, helping us think about an understanding of the word justice, the theme of justice through the lens of the character of God. I am a great believer that any biblical theme we look at, uh, it's hard not to look at it properly or thoroughly without first of all looking at how it relates to who God is and without a right view of the character and nature of who God is. I think if we get that wrong, then our understanding of how these things get lived out gets a bit skewed and worst case scenario gets, gets weird and destructive. And so I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, what comes into your head uh, the first time you hear the word God or what comes into your head at first when you hear the word God is the most important thing about you. 
And so um, I, I am a great believer in that. And when it comes to justice, I think that's really, really important. We're so in Christ, we're so in God that we need to know who he is because if we're in him, then how we reflect him becomes of crucial importance. And so when it comes to the character of God, we see justice right at the center of who he is. In fact, what we're gonna learn is justice and mercy are one in God. And I think that's a crucial thing that we really need to grapple with. Um, where, when we understand justice is intrinsic to the character of God, then it more naturally flows that we can follow him. It's clear throughout the Bible that God is a God of justice. He does what is right. He, he does what is according to his perfect rightness. Let me read you a few scriptures just to um, prove it. Uh, Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 all his ways are just there it is in a nutshell Psalm 89 verse 14 righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne right there at the very throne of God at the foundation of God's throne are righteousness and justice he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and he loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing this is Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 and then Isaiah chapter 61 verse 8 for I the Lord love justice I hate robbery and wrongdoing and so um, we see throughout the Bible even verses here from the Old Testament that God is one who where justice is so much part of who he is weaving with compassionate acts God in a sense introduces himself to us in scripture as the father of the fatherless a defender of widows god's facebook bio if you want to think about it like that would be a father to the fatherless a defender of widows this is one of the ways he introduces himself to us in the bible we realize that justice is not just a rallying cry to a certain political or economic or social agenda or issue those are ways that justice can and probably should be expressed but fundamentally i think we need to start as believers understanding that justice is linked to the very righteousness the right nature the perfect nature of who god is a little bit of theological kind of backdrop here and a little bit of hebrew if you can stick with me on a sunday afternoon for a little bit of basic hebrew in the bible righteousness and justice well actually in both the hebrew and the greek are kind of like the same words they're interwoven and that's maybe not exactly true because they're, they're they're two they're two separate words but they're used together so much in the hebrew the two words are mishpat and tzedakeh right so two words that are used for justice and righteousness that are sometimes translated in the bible about being just but other times and maybe more accurately being translated as being right or righteousness and so what i'm trying to say is that these two words go in together in the bible 30 different times so for example in jeremiah chapter 32 it says this is what the lord says do what is just that's a mishpat word and right that's a tzadikah word rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed do no wrong or violence to the foreigner the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and so in simple terms justice mishpat 
is about making things right. Zedekiah. So justice for God and, and through God and through God's character is about making things right, putting things right in the end, putting things in the correct order according to God. It's justice that expresses itself in social ways. So we could call it social justice in the pure sense of that word, but it's social justice in God's ways flowing from God's throne, not our own human agenda within that. Fleming Rutledge, great theologian, preacher, she says this, the Christian hope is founded on the promise of God that all things will be made new according to his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about new creation and sometimes we've individualized that scripture just to do with our own personal salvation, which of course we can, but what it's really getting at in 2 Corinthians 5 is that you know, we've been made new and therefore we are part of new creation. And so Fleming Rutledge is saying that the promise that God will make uh, all things new is according to his righteousness. This is the promise of God that new creation, everything that has went wrong will be put right. And so the theme of justice ties into God's cosmic plan, if you like, to make everything right in the end. And so in that light, I want to say all that to start with because sometimes then how we understand justice and how we talk about justice, I think is quite reductionist. In other words, it diminishes this big theme, this big cosmic plan of God to put all things right in the end and that we get to play our part in that. What we, our friend Mark Sayers sometimes says is that justice, like other biblical kind of Christian-themed kingdom words uh, has become something that we use in, our, use in and for our own terms and agendas. We want the kingdom without the king, but we want to make sure as the body of Christ and as the communities God is calling us to be, that the kingdom and the themes of the kingdom are linked to the source who is Jesus, who reveals who God is, and God is justice. God is righteousness. Fleming Rutledge goes on and she says this, clearly human justice is a very limited enterprise compared to the ultimate making right of God in the promised day of judgment. Let me say that again, clearly human justice is a very limited enterprise when it's compared to the ultimate making right of God in the promised day of of judgment. And so we want to remind ourselves that though God is a God of justice and God is going to do something about evil, no matter what form it comes in, we thank God that that's going to be dealt with. Evil will be dealt with and be reckoned with. There's that great verse in Genesis that says, shall not the judge of the earth do right? We can be assured that all the evil and injustice that's in the world, God is going to do something about that. And God already has done something about that, as we'll see in the person of Jesus. And yet what we also realize in the Bible, I mean, you haven't even, in a sense, got to the New Testament yet. What we all, all, all also realize, and in the Old Testament we see glimpses of this, is it becomes clear as the God story unfolds, we come to realize that God is a God who, in human terms, if you want to put it like that, he kind of holds back enforcing justice in the way we would think he should. 
So uh, at, at a human base level, the way we think that people deserve certain things and people deserve justice to come to them and to be to, that evildoers and perpetrators and all of us who are sinned and shaping in iniquity that while justice should come to us, we find God is one who kind of holds back this when there is an opportunity for mercy to win the day. It's incredible if you look closely enough, even in the Old Testament, you'll find this despite some difficult maybe passages. In Exodus chapter 34, for example, which is one of those quintessential passages where we are given a window into the beauty of who God is because Moses has the audacity to ask God to show him his glory. And God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. God comes down and as he passes by, we're told that he reveals himself who he is, that I am the Lord who is uh, steadfast in love, abounding um, in mercy. And and then it tells us that he... Um, he graces generations with mercy for a thousand, gener- thousand generations. His, his long-suffering love and his mercy moves through thousands of generations, but he'd also do something about the wicked, but that will only be repa- repaid th- on three or four generations. In other words, the mercy of God is going to um, be asymmetrical. In other words, not the same as the judgment of God that will be passed out. And so this kind of gives us a window to what the New Testament writers will confirm. I think it's James away near the end of the New Testament where he could say mercy triumphs over judgment. My point is that while that's the truth of who God is, God has always been trying to tell us that and and show us that and reveal this to us. Psalm 103, right there in the middle of the Old Testament in the hymn book of the Israelites, it says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. All the things we see in this encounter with Moses in Exodus 34. And then it says, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Get this, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. (laughs) God is a just God expressed in compassion and mercy. In human terms, he will not always give people what we think they deserve. And, you know, thanks be to God, he won't do that with us as individuals. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And so God's judgment comes on God's terms. But praise be to God, God's terms are mercy and compassion and abounding love. And so we see the judge of all the earth who is going to do right revealed to us as a compassionate father, as a lover who will not let us go. It helps us to think of the judgment of God as the, uh, and the justice of God coming on the earth through the lens of a, of a parent. That's what the writer of Hebrews again will tell us in the New Testament. It's like the discipline of God has to come upon us, but it comes as a father or mother. It comes through the lens of a parent who loves his children and wants to shape them into who he wants them to be, displayers of his glory. We're not talking about a cranky reactionary deity here. We're talking about a beautiful heavenly father. God's justice is wrapped up in his love. Tim Keller wrote a 
great book called Generous Justice. It's not just a great book, but it's a great title because it reveals to us that God is going to put things right, restore things someday to their original design, new creation. And the way he's going to do that is through radical kindness. I could read you other texts in Isaiah about how God reveals himself as a, as a mother who cannot forget the child at its breast, or Hosea, the God whose compassion was aroused even when they rejected him. Um, different passages that I'll maybe share my, my notes with you. But in all of this, we see the dynamic of who God is. And, and the other thing I want to quickly mention that we see in God, uh, in the character of God that's important for us to understand, justice, I believe, is the Trinitarian nature of who God is. Um, because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and because as, a, as three distinct personalities who love one another so deeply and intensely that they are one, and while there's mystery and beauty in all of that, what it does help us to see is the mutual submission that they have to one another, the perfect honour and humility that they, that they show to one another, and how this beautiful flowing dance of a relationship uh, overflows in the, into uh, humanity created in their image. And this is important, just hold that, because this is important for how we understand how we as the community of faith, who are trying to be a reflection of the Trinity on the earth, how we embody the very character and nature of who God is to the world, of which a central theme is justice, compassion, uh, weave together. And so, Saying all that to say it, that by the time we get to the New Testament and the, the desire that the prophets spoke about and the, the, the person, if you like, that they were pointing to, the hope of a deliverer and a Messiah who would come to deliver um, the, the Jews, Israel, from their sin, but also to execute judgment on the nations who had... Um, oppressed them and overtaken them and it was into this that the the world that Jesus steps in and and so well, let me let me read you this from Andy Crouch to try and just um, succinctly say what I'm what I'm trying to say you you cannot understand Jesus and his mission without understanding the biblical yearning for justice and Jesus' announcement that he was the fulfillment of that yearning. We can say definitively, you cannot have Jesus without justice. And so what Andy Crouch is helping us think about here is that throughout the Old Testament, there has been this yearning for justice, for somebody to come and make things right and to deal with the oppression. We see this in the recurring things of the prophets, but also in the Psalms. Why do the wicked... Prosper? Have you have you ever thought that? Why do the why does things go right for people who are who are wicked and aren't living for God? And why do the righteous falter? Well, well, God acted to deliver the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. All, all of that's going on. It's that kind of background music that's going on. And Jesus steps into the world, and he is saying that this yearning for justice is being fulfilled in his very life and ultimately in his death. These questions that have been hanging in the atmosphere of 
one who would come to deliver us from all of this injustice and oppression are being definitively answered in the person of Jesus. And if we look closely enough even at these Old Testament prophecies, where we see a lot of judgment language, if you look closely enough, you start to realise that the deliverer who is coming to execute justice is coming in a different way to what we may expect. He's coming in a way that's going to knock everyone off their balance because the justice that is going to come, the powerful enactment of justice, is going to be in the form of loving, sacrificial service. The just God is going to come as a suffering servant. Isaiah tells us, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Right? So God is saying, I'm going to put my spirit upon my servant who will bring justice to the nations. But what's he going to look like? It goes on. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. The one who is coming to bring justice to the nation is not coming like a warlord. He's not coming like Alexander the Great or Pompey from Rome or Cyrus of Persia. He's not coming like that. Isaiah is trying to tell the people of God. And the heart cry for this justice is a compassionate one. This is Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he will not break in a smouldering flex. He will not snuff out. This is a God, a king of gentle power, a king of generous justice, a compassionate deliverer. And this kind of justice is evident through the life of Jesus, both with the despised and the rejected, the woman caught in the act of adultery, but also with the kind of uh, despised tax collector the guy that's ripping everyone off, the guy who's working for the system. And when you think about this within our uh, world today, he, you know Jesus wasn't allowing himself to be stereotyped by one particular political party. He didn't allow himself to get caught up in factionalism, in um, you know agenda-driven media, political gain or, 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 or terms. He, he was embodying who God is, justice for all mankind and revealing that justice indiscrimin- indiscriminately with those he came into contact with. Even when the Roman centurions, the enemy of God's people, the one who Jesus was supposed to come to deliver the people from, even as they're driving nails into his hands, Jesus is forgiving them in that very moment. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so what, what we realise is that this big cosmic plan to put everything right that's gone wrong, 
The focus is narrowing now in on the cross because in the cross we see the justice of God being dealt with in the most compassionate, self-sacrificial, loving way. The most self-sacrificial act that has ever happened is the most powerful act that has ever happened. I think it's Greg Boyd who says, when God wants to flex his omnipotent muscle, so when God wants to flex his all-powerful muscles, it looks like a cross. This is not the wisdom of the world. This is foolishness to the world. But it is the wisdom of God which is revolutionizing the world and flipping the axis of the way the world operates on its head and centering and building it around sacrificial love. So Paul could say that God is therefore both the just and the justifier of those who are being saved. God presented, Romans tells us, Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did that to demonstrate his righteousness. So God is demonstrating his rightness His very glory is being revealed on the cross because he's showing us the glory of God looks like this incredible, radical, sacrificial love. So as he could show himself to be both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. God is demonstrating his righteousness by dealing with sin and all the results of sin in the most compassionate and sacrificial way you could ever imagine. How good is this gospel? A God who would rather forgive his enemies than seek revenge over them. And so this helps us realize that justice is not a primarily a transactional thing or an economic thing. It's not an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. It's something more than that. It's something more mysterious, something more beautiful, something more deep. Jesus didn't have to change God's mind about us or about the world. It's not justice from the point of view that Jesus had to pass something to take so so God would forgive us. God has always been forgiven. Jesus instead took our place, bore the consequences of our sin, to show us God demonstrating his love at the ultimate level. And that he would die in our place and bear the sin of the world. God was in Christ, the Bible says, reconciling the world to himself. So God is showing us through the sacrifice of Jesus that God is just and is going to justify us before himself. It's not like Jesus has to pay something to get justice in that regard. To, to change God's mind. God has always loved us, but now he's revealing his love and reconciling the world to himself through this act of sacrificial love. Um, that's why I love the story of the prodigal son so much, because he didn't have to pay something to get justice. We see God front-ending in the person of the father in this story, this radical love and welcome and embrace into the home of himself. It's unbelievable really that we can summarize the gospel in these beautiful words that mercy triumphs over justice. 
And so you might want to pause at this point and, and discuss that. I know we've kind of covered that at quite a deep theological, biblical level, but I think it's just so important that we flow out of a, a biblically faithful understanding of what justice is that flows very, very much out of the character of God and flows out of the lens of the cross. And so as we come to think about this as a church and what it might mean for you as a church, I think we want to hold those things in mind. That first and foremost, if we want to say, welcome home to the world in our community, welcome welcome home to the people in your community, to come into the family of God, we, we want to realize that justice flows out of who God is. And God is Trinity. God is family with this mutual submission flows. And see, first and foremost, the church is a redeemed community. It's a, it's a family based around the sacrificial love of Jesus that we've been talking about. It's a, it's a microcosm of the big cosmic plan of God to put things right. And so as we try by the grace of God and by the infilling of the Holy Spirit to reflect the Trinity, no less, which Jesus prayed that we would, that as we do that and as we submit to one another, we are showing the world a countercultural form of family and community that is built around sacrificial love and honour where justice and righteousness therefore flows. And so your very act of becoming Christ-like in the way that you love one another, serve one another, honour one another, mutually submit to one another, in the very act of that we show the world, we reveal to the world the manifold wisdom of God. This is why Jesus could say, "If you uh, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you if you love one another. And so we're not supposed, I don't believe, to do justice as a bunch of isolated individuals. This, this is why our understanding of God as Trinity is really important. Because I'm getting to the practical nature of we're not supposed to just be off doing our, our social justice things individually. Who we are and what we reflect as a community is really important. Now we all might do that in slightly different ways, but how we celebrate that and embrace that and become the justice of God as a people is really, really important. The church's pattern of life and commitment to loving one another serves as a countercultural structure to political and social structures of the day. Okay, so we don't find our answers there. We should be involved in all of that in the right and appropriate ways as followers of Jesus. But we serve the world best actually by being a community that's counter to that. Now that, as we know, doesn't mean an inward looking culture. But it, what it does mean is that we spend time forming a kind of community that welcomes the world in to something that it doesn't know uh, beyond, uh, beyond the church and in the world. Doing the works of God then will flow from who we're becoming as his people. Secondly, we need to see this through cruciform love, which I've spoken quite a bit before. We, we need to think about justice in the way that mirrors the person of Jesus. We can only really, I think, understand justice properly through the lens of mercy ultimately displayed at the cross. And that will mean we become indiscriminate with justice. We just don't 
become just the one particular person over and above others. We show justice both to the oppressed and to the oppressor. That's where it gets tricky and messy and difficult. But that's what we see in Jesus. The woman caught in the act of adultery and Zacchaeus, the tax collector that nobody liked because he worked for the state and he was ripping everybody off and he was a collaborator with those who were wealthy. Da, da, da. We don't like those kind of people, but Jesus wanted to go to his house to reveal justice. And so the justice of God almost offends some of our normal human um, sensibilities. And that's where we need to allow who God is to disrupt our categories that we pick up from the world in which we live to allow us to become formed into Jesus-likeness in order to reveal that to the world. I, I love this from Shane Claiborne. Peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is an act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice. The act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer. The act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. It is about a revolution of love that is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressors free. And so we, so we want to think about as a church how we can become a community that reflects the mutual love and submission of the Trinity. We want to be a community that walks in cruciform love and the radical servanthood of Jesus. And we want to be a community filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without the grace of God. And so very, very practically then, what I, what I really want to encourage you to think about individually and together is, first and foremost, how, how do we grow in sonship? How do we grow in daughterhood? Because we can fall into the trap of even wanting to be the rescuer, of even wanting to find a false identity in how we have become somebody else's God, essentially, because we are rescuing everyone, instead of flowing out of genuine sonship, uh, which God wants to stamp upon our hearts again. Like Jesus, we're called in the mature, deep sonship to overflow them with the compassion of the Father. Um, the Holy Spirit is doing this in uh, our hearts, tenderizing us to bring us into a place of secure identity where we know what God's called us to do and we also know the limitations that are on us as human beings. So let's grow in sonship, uh, flowing out of a heart of uh, that's been just ravished by the love of God, secure in who he's called us to be, not trying to prove something by our justice initiatives, not trying to like be uh, seen to be something that everybody else will like, not being taken up by the latest whim just because it's some form of virtue signaling, signaling that makes us look better. Let's flow out of genuine sonship. Let's lean in in prayer. Pray those prayers. Break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Let's get our eyes on Jesus and allow, as we talk in 24-7, that perfect tension of intimacy with God, of which involvement with the world will flow out. Let's, let's find it. We only find that place in the place of prayer by pressing into God's heart. In this place, your compassion will move to justice and your justice will be wrapped up in compassion. If we 
pray that prayer break my heart for what break yours it takes us into the very heart of god where we can't know his heart without that intimacy and when we know it we can't not do something about it yeah. martin luther king said this power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice oh it's so beautiful isn't it power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love so good and we know that when we pray and when we lean into god's heart thirdly keep developing a biblical worldview of justice i've tried to do that in the first part of today allow our our understanding to be of justice to be informed by what we see in the bible over and above all the noise that we're hearing across the political spectrum at the moment just let's stay true to the bible and then by the spirit let's know how to apply that in the world in which we live jesus is king his kingdom has a social dimension to that this social grouping is primarily called the church the church is the agent of god's justice on earth justice is the vision of the king the king has come to model justice and call us to follow in it his summons to us as the church is this task and at the heart of this kingdom message is this great commandment to love god and others which in a sense becomes one commandment and not just two that's the biblical framework that we have for justice and then finally just constantly being infilled with the holy spirit these are days that we're living through that you know it's quite easy um, when we're involved particularly in ministry to, to have a de- even a degree of compassion fatigue and i don't know about you but i know to be in this job if you like or vocation of helping lead the body of christ and want to be at the front end of seeing jesus come amongst the least and working amongst the poor and seeing systems and structures change so that um, we can change the lives of more and more people some days i just get tired and fatigued and discouraged and and then also i'm just also aware of my own sin and how i'm having to deal with my own insecurities my own false identities and my own uh, superhero kind of um constructs that i want to build around myself or feed me and i just need to keep dying to myself and inviting the fresh infilling of the holy spirit to come upon me so that justice becomes a pursuit that is led and filled by the beauty and the gentleness and the power and the joy of the holy spirit and so i want to encourage you as a church in proximity just to pray that the holy spirit would come upon you as much as he breaks your heart for the community that in another way that burden would feel light because it's led and fueled and carried by the person of the holy spirit because ultimately he will lead us to the places where we'll find jesus amongst the lost and the broken and the poor and so the lord bless you in all that you're doing as you continue to welcome the stranger practice hospitality um 
be vulnerable with yourselves and with the community around you as you make space at your table <laughs> virtually and hopefully one day physically again as you engage with the local schools which i know you've served so incredibly over the last number of years may god just enhance all that you're doing for his glory and so god i pray today that you work upon this beautiful um a community proximity church lord that you would fill them with a fresh revelation of your goodness and of your glory of how your mercy triumphs over judgment how you have become uh, you are just and have become the justifier of those who are being saved that you lord are going to put everything right in the end that new creation has broken forth that the recreation project is underway and i pray lord god that you would show them as individuals and as a body how they are playing their part in the recreation of all things for the sake of your glory and lord for the saving of many souls the rescuing of many from darkness and the welcoming into the family of god because you set the lonely in families and i just pray holy spirit in the days ahead that lonely people will be set in the family of proximity church they would find home and welcome and embrace and their lives would be straightened out in and by and through the grace of god in jesus name we pray amen god bless you